Happiness is such a fleeting word. I'd like to talk about it in the sense of joy. Joy is like home plate at a baseball game. It exists. Everyone's striving to get there. Everyone leaves home plate. And every now and again, an umpire just has to dust it off. Welcome to the Seton Hall Undergraduate Leaders Podcast. While there are a ton of other leadership podcasts out there on the interwebs, this is the only one solely dedicated to developing undergraduate leaders in numerous fields. We bring in interesting leaders from a variety of disciplines and industries to dish out practical advice for entrepreneurial undergraduates embarking on their professional careers. You'll hear from leaders operating at all levels, CEOs and other C-suite individuals who are at the top of their industries, mid-career professionals only several years removed from their college days, and young leaders in school who are already doing amazing things. We feature leaders from business, diplomacy, education, journalism, engineering, law, medicine, and the sports world. It's all part of our mission here at the Bucino Leadership Institute. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome, everybody. My name is DJ Matos, and today I'll be your host. For this episode, we are thrilled to have Dr. Kaiser as our guest. Dr. Kaiser received his doctorate from Seton Hall University, specializing in educational administration and supervision, currently as an associate dean of undergraduate academic affairs in the College of Arts and Sciences. His role focuses on the many aspects of the undergraduate educational experience. He has taught both in the undergraduate and graduate side of the university and has worked in higher education for 23 years, 19 of which have been at Seton Hall and strives for continued research, leadership development, scholarship, and fellowship throughout the undergraduate population. Additionally, his work includes assisting undergraduate applicants in choosing the appropriate major and supporting students in becoming well acclimated to college life, along with continued policy reviews, ongoing development opportunities, and preparing programs to attract and retain students. He has the pleasure of assisting the university through the development of leadership opportunities. He is active in the community and is passionate about serving the local parish of Our Lady of Sorrows as youth minister, responsible for the catechesis of 100 plus high school age youth a year. Dr. Kaiser, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Darren. It's great to be here. So Dr. Kaiser, in addition to your extensive history at Seton Hall, you were also an assistant dean at the School of Diplomacy from 2004 until 2006. Mm-hmm. What made you want to switch into diplomacy after all the years of working in education? Well, there and there was an opportunity that arose. And we always teach in leadership that you have to be aware of opportunities that are around you. I had a meeting representing the admissions office at the time and transfer admissions when I was over there. And across the table from me was the dean of the School of Diplomacy and International Relations, Dean Clay Constantino. And Clay, if you know him, he was a former ambassador of Luxembourg, very engaging individual, and he liked things his way. And he was explaining to us in this meeting a certain way he wanted something done, and it just was not possible. So I was the one being the bearer of bad news, but also finding solutions for him so he would be able to understand why it couldn't be done a certain way and then what we can do to get to where he wants it to be for the school diplomacy. It must have been maybe one of the first times that someone said no to him in a meeting because the next day I got a call and he said, I have a position open and available and I want to interview you for the position. And we talked at length and I thought it was a good idea just to interview, nothing to lose. So I went over and I met with him and I 
I interviewed. And after a good 45 minutes of him showing me pictures of everyone he met in the world, presidents, ambassadors, I just thought he was such an engaging character that I could learn something from working with him. And so sure enough, when he invited me to apply, officially I applied and interviewed again with a group of people and was offered the position. I could not turn it down. It was just such a great opportunity. It was a fledgling school. We started School of Diplomacy, I think in the late 90s. I was under Terrence Blackburn, who was a faculty member here at the university. He was our first dean. And then Clay was our first hired dean. Clay has a long history with Seton Hall University, and he knew a lot of people. I mean, in those years, Darren, we brought in people that just blew me away, people that I learned about in, in school my whole life. Lech Wałęsa, who was the, Lech Wałęsa, the first democratically elected president of Poland. I mean, he had come to Seton Hall University to speak. Uh, Clay was instrumental in bringing him here. His daughter was here as well, which was great to see the juxtaposition between someone that was a solidarity candidate and his daughter, who was educated in all of the best schools in Poland, and then bringing Shimon Perez, who was a prime minister of Israel, meeting him and such a grandfatherly individual. If you've never had a grandfather, just a warm person that was really into who you are, not for any reason, just kind of would question you. We also brought in Mikhail Gorbachev, which was a tremendous asset to the college community, having him come on campus, among others. So the opportunity really, it stems from, that's why I went from, I went into the School of Diplomacy and International Relations. It was amazing. And what was it like sharing that vision that you had for diplomacy? I mean, like you were new in the in the field and the dean had an idea and you shared your own vision of the idea, your own version. It was daunting. Sharing an idea to someone that knows something about something is daunting because I knew nothing. I, I knew what I knew based on what I read. I was never educated in diplomacy and international relations. I had a desire, a deep desire to learn geography, to learn history, because I was a history major at one point in college. And I even taught history at Brooklyn Tech High School for a year in Brooklyn, which was humbling, to say the least. There's a bright student. But being in diplomacy and international relations, he shared his vision, and I felt I could add to it. I really didn't share a vision per se, Darren, but I, I felt I could add to his vision, which I was able to do. Have you ever seen Alexander Hamilton, the show? No. Oh, Darren, you got to watch the show. You got to watch it. One of the best pieces of advice that Alexander Hamilton got from Burr, you know, talk less and smile more. And I think that's the lesson I got working with Clay. I had to talk less and smile more, which obviously in this podcast, you're not learning that I talk less, but I actually do. Through my experiences with you, it's, it's definitely been a lot of smiling. <laughs> and not only that, but just recently in 2015, uh, you actually you started Kaiser College Consulting. And I mean, I'm sure one of the big things with starting your own your own business is you, you have a vision and it's all about conveying that vision and, and making it work. W what has it been like starting and running a business alongside having you know, your job as as a dean? It's a lot of work. It's a lot of late nights and early mornings. And my priority is Seton Hall University and the students that I serve and the faculty that I work alongside with serving our student population. That's priority number one in the work world, serving the students. And then that other piece, starting that LLC, it's very easy to start an LLC. The hard part is keeping it going and then hiring people. We've been challenged, of course, with the state of the world, just like every other uh, company or organization has been challenged. But our goal is the same, to serve students in Kaiser College Consulting to finding the right choice of major and also uh, self-efficacy, finding their passion in life. Yeah, no, it definitely takes a lot of passion to start your own business. I mean, I'm, I'm sure the one thing that keeps you going is you know your vision for it and the passion you have for it. Throughout your experience in education, what are some things you have learned in general 
Any tips, advice for students? Well, one of the great parts of my job is working with at-risk students. And what I've learned about at-risk students is that we accepted them at the university and we will do everything in our power at Seton Hall University to help them achieve. The one thing we can't do for them is do their work, but we will help them with organizing their day better, with work management, time management, with making right decisions for themselves, with figuring out where they're called to be. We often use the term vocation, your calling, not just career or job. And what I've learned is that our students at Seton Hall University are hungry to learn. Whether you're in the Buccino Leadership Institute or whether you're a pre-major and you just got in by the skin of your teeth, we attract a student that is really hungry to learn. So my tips and advice is, of course, at a university, provide them with opportunities so they can learn, one. And two, make sure when we're working with students that we, we give them the advice that maybe their parents never got to give them or people in their life had gotten to give them. Advice is great. One thing that we were fortunate to create was the business boot camp model where students, very select group of students, sit once a year for four days and they do an eight o'clock in the morning, 8.30 in the morning to almost nine, 10 o'clock at night, boot camp style, round robin, people coming in, giving talks, their stories, advice. And some workshops along the, the way, too, in terms of money management and career center advice, which is uh, very helpful and useful. One of the best pieces of advice that our faculty have to remind themselves is to give advice. It's important. There's a book out there that we look at um, that I've read that focuses on making the most of college. And Dr. Light wrote it. I think it's a Harvard Press and he wrote how to get the most out of college. And, and if you boil it all down, there was five major points. And one of those points was that faculty, administrators, and staff should get in the way of students to help them give advice and challenge them. Because oftentimes the student will remember in years to come well after college that this faculty member actually spent time and this administrator spent time giving me advice that I maybe needed to hear or maybe didn't hear, but learned to use in the future. You mentioned two things, you know, at, at risk students and the business boot camp uh, that, that you recently held regarding everything that's been going on COVID-19. What are some issues you have seen in meeting students and faculty during COVID? And not only that, but have you seen any, anything positive come out of it? Well, there are a tremendous amount of issues, as uh, you put it, in terms of the challenges that we face with what's going on. Seton Hall is certainly well positioned to handle those challenges well. And I think our faculty and administrators and students are, are all doing exceptionally well in handling that challenge of moving to a high flex model and in some instances a remote model. From a family perspective, in my family alone, I'll speak anecdotally, while we've been brought closer together, which I believe is a great thing, physically closer together, required to work from home some days, students are being educated at Kaiser Prep, which is ha ha ha, you know, they're being educated at home right now, uh, online schooling. And, you know, my wife who teaches here at the university as well, we're spending a, a lot more time together. And that's been amazing. It's been great. And I, I, I believe that the younger children in our society that, you know, the newborns through, you know, five-year-olds and six-year-olds are getting what they always need, which is parents around them. Now, it's stressful for parents. I get it. 
But for many of us, this is a choice. For many of us, it's a choice to be a parent, for many. And that's been a great gift, you know, the gift of family to be around. So there's been positive in that sense. Some negative, my, my biggest fear, because I'm, you know, my wife is a psychologist and we talk a lot about some of the fears that COVID has brought on. There's a tremendous issue when it comes to family environments that aren't supportive for children and for spouses. And I'm speaking of, of course, spousal abuse. That's a terrible thing. And I know that during COVID, this has been a tremendously bad time because there's been no way to get away from the abuse. And with children, often school was the escape when they were in family environments that weren't as supportive. So I think that's been a tremendous issue where it's been tough. And I could see at Seton Hall where we have students coming from environments that are, I would like to suggest that are mostly very positive environments. There are some that come from, you know, negative and you have to work with them because they're currently being, you know, remote schooling and their home in those environments and it's very difficult for them. So that's that's been a challenge when I've worked with with students from those sort of backgrounds. It's not easy. Do you have like a, a, any guiding mentality to how you approach events or obstacles with something that those students can use in their everyday lives? So when you're referring to being from a bad situation, you know, I'm a, I often tell my story, Darren, and I think you know my story. My mother and biological father had my brother who was eight years older than me. They were, you know, married. And then my mother had four or five miscarriages. She, she couldn't have her second child. And so they decided to adopt and they adopted my sister, Kathleen, who's two years older than me. And then my parents, you know, when you go through an adoption, that's not, that's a forced adoption. Sometimes it could add a lot of stress to a marriage. And my parents were pretty much separated. And there was one last night they wanted to say goodbye to each other. And they said goodbye to each other. And nine months later, I was born. And my mother called my father to move back in. And just because they wanted to at least get through the first few months of a newborn. And then my father moved back out again. And then a year later, my, my father had met someone and got married shortly thereafter. And she had had two children from a previous marriage. And then my mother, when I was about uh, nine years old, you know, 10 years old, met my stepdad who became my dad in my life. Great guy. And he had had two children from a previous marriage. And he had, which I'm always baffled at in the seventies, he had full custody of his two daughters, which became my two sisters. And that always speaks volumes to a man to have custody in the seventies, full custody, not shared custody. I'm talking seven days a week, full custody. So this... I've seen the struggle firsthand growing up. And when I see students coming into a university, I recognize that my parents, you know, weren't educated in terms of college and I had no one to really go to for advice or asking questions. I was fortunate enough to be educated at, there was a Marist school and the brothers are very good to young people coming from inner city communities and they took care of you and they answered a lot of my questions. But I see students coming in when I work with students, the best advice I have for them is to, you know, ask us any questions because sometimes they don't know they can ask us any questions at a university. They don't know that they can ask us any question. Now, granted, I always preface it by saying I'm not a counselor. I'm not licensed. You know, we have counseling here at the university, which is awesome, but I'm definitely not, we're not afraid of getting any question and we'll help field it. So, you know, the advice that I always give is just make sure you can ask questions. You know, we'll help you get the help that you need. Does that make sense, Darren? Did that answer your question? Yeah. All my questions have been answered so far, Dr. Kaiser. Don't, don't worry about that. Is that, is, is your background what made you decide to pursue education as your vocation? Good question. It's funny. I wasn't the greatest student undergrad. I worked at UPS Monday through Friday for four years. 
my summers, I was able to give them, I was able to give UPS a reason to let me go for three months in the summertime so I could do service work. So I worked in, I did service work in South Dakota, working with the Lakota Sioux for a summer. I worked in Jamaica West Indies, working at the Alpha Boy Boys School and Orphanage. And then I worked in upstate New York at a camp called the Soapbiz Mid-Hudson Valley Camp for each week is a special needs week, which is pretty amazing. And every year UPS would be happy to let me go in the summer because they A, wouldn't have to pay me. And B, they, in the summer times, it was desolate. So they were always looking to cut costs. I don't know if that got me into what I do today. I said yes at commencement. I said yes to a job offer from a college administrator. And I said yes, only because it was like going to be temporary. I'm like, I'll do it for a few, few months. And then I loved, uh, I was always, I, I loved learning about education. And I realized that, wow, this is fast. First, it's, first of all, it's fascinating. And second of all, generally speaking, good people get brought to education because they do want to give so much of themselves. They want to help other people realize their full potential. And educators, while we don't get paid the most, we don't mind working long hours to make sure that our students are getting everything they possibly can and making sure our faculty and administrators are getting everything they can. And, you know, you, I guess finding a place to do that is important. So I look back on my life and I'm like, yeah, well, the education process I guess wasn't the easiest for me. So I guess I just want to be in a position to help people realize their dreams, Darren. So interesting question. A funny story. It was like first grade and Mrs. Seeger was my first grade teacher. Love that woman. She was amazing, but she had a hang up and it was me. She thought I was a wise guy. It was, must've been like the first month and simple question to first graders, you know, where does milk come from? And what is, Hey, where does milk come from? Right? So what's your answer, DJ? Where does milk come from? A cow. Right. That's a normal answer, right? But do you think this first grader knew where milk came from? I thought I knew where milk came from. So I raised my hand, you know, nice little smart guy, first month of class, Mrs. Seeger, pick on me. So, all right, Chrissy, what do you want? Where does milk come from? I said, Mrs. Seeger, I make the milk. It comes from me. And she was like, what are you talking about? I was like, I make the milk. It comes from me. I thought I got the answer. I'm so proud. I was like so happy with myself. And she says, you know, that's not the answer. I'm like, I was adamant. I was adamant. Milk came from me. Well, I found myself in the principal's office, Mrs. Flynn. And Mrs. Flynn had known my mother because my mother had to get me into the school. I had went to public kindergarten uh, half day. And the only thing I did in that public kindergarten was sing. And then I'd get home and I'd watch Don Ho on TV, which was a great show. If you don't know, you should look it up on YouTube. Uh, Hawaiian singer, ukulele player, amazing guy. Anyway, wound up in Mrs. Flynn's office and my mother gets called up. My mother comes up. She says, you know, this is awkward. Like, I'm so sorry my son's being this way. He's really a nice kid. He's, you know, never gives us any trouble. He's the youngest born. He's, you know, he's just a nice guy. Anyway, so Mrs. Flynn explains the story that I was adamant that I make the milk. Well, my mother started to cry. So my mother said, no, um, Mrs. Flynn, we're so sorry, but he does make the milk every morning. His job is to wake up at 5.30 to go downstairs to get the carnation. It was Alba. And carnation is also what we use, uh, the Alba powder. Off the shelf, put it in the container, fill it with water, mix it, stir it until all the Alba is gone. And then he puts it in the fridge for us to drink when we get down for breakfast. So if that shows anything, just to how we were brought up, it was... um, we were misunderstood. I'm, I'm sure that's definitely affected you. Like from what you said before, just give other people a part of yourself. And 
that's how you lead people. And a lot of students are misunderstood, just like faculty and administrators were misunderstood. And many of the issues that occur in a classroom, because you know there's this back and forth between a you know faculty student to faculty administrator, it's often because we have to recognize that we bring to every discussion or every conversation a part of ourselves, where we were from, how we were raised. You know, and if you don't know about that, you don't understand that there's a there's a whole person there, and you have to discuss it. One of our biggest challenges, of course, is when students show up in my office after two semesters of having a below 2.0 GPA, and I have to have that, you know, discussion about maybe this isn't the right fit for you, or how can we help you, or, you know, getting to know them then is, is very helpful because it's often the decision between putting them on some sort of a contract plan where they meet with me once a week for a half hour just so I can get them, you know, figure out where they're going in their life in terms of what what they need to do for their academics and helping them with resources, you know, getting them to use the counseling center, getting them to use the career center <clears throat> to making the decision to, Hey, maybe, you know, as much as you want to be here, this really isn't a good, you know, good spot for you. And let's draft a plan that you can go somewhere else for a semester and come back. So it's, it's getting to know people. I think that's, it's a big advantage. So do you think empathy has been playing a bigger part in not only your position, but in education as a whole? It's earlier in the what, history of education? Yeah, just say maybe 10 years. Personally, I, I feel like the way I was brought up and the, what I've been exposed to in my life has helped me be empathic and helped me have empathy, helped me to feel for someone, you know? My mother used to tell me as a sensitive child, she would say, sensitivity is a gift and a curse from God. Sensitivity you need, yes, but it's also, you're going to feel things from other people that, you know, you don't want to necessarily feel. So those are, those are gifts and curses at the same time. Are we being more empathic? I mean, empathy is a beautiful emotion. Finding out where people come from and finding how we can help them go forward. Of course, if they choose to go forward is, is a great part of education. I think we I think at Seton Hall University, we do a tremendous job in that in that area, as you can, as you know, from the Buccino Leadership Institute and just from your faculty in front of you in your classes and the services we provide. I mean, we definitely seem to hire people that, you know, are, are here for the right reasons, which that's what's kept me here for 20 plus years. You know, while we don't make every decision right, I mean, obviously, who can? We're not afraid to make a bad decision a right decision. I, I wanted to ask a few questions, but I kind of, I want to jump into this, this other question. Are you happy? And what does happiness mean to you? Oh, I love this topic. Darren, did you know that years ago in the Catholic Studies program with Dr. Inez Mirzaka, we launched a class called Search for Happiness? No, I did not know that. Yes. With her help, we launched a class. I taught it for a couple of semesters and then I couldn't teach it any longer. And then we changed its name to search for human fulfillment. And then a lot of the content had changed, but it's, it's a great course in Catholic studies. You should all take it. If I teach you, definitely take it because I teach it a little differently, but it's, the motive is the same. Happiness is such a fleeting word. I'd like to talk about it in the sense of joy. Joy is like home plate at a baseball game. It exists. Everyone's striving to get there. Everyone leaves home plate. And every now and again, an umpire just has to dust it off. Joy exists in your heart. You're created for joy by God. Every now and again, you got to dust it off and remind yourself that you're a joyful individual. You are called to be joyful. You are called to be happy. That, that doesn't mean, that doesn't mean you're not going to be melancholy once in a while or sad or sensitive in a negative sense or, you know, or hurt. It means that you're joyful. So am I happy? Yes, I'm, I'm very happy. I'm happy with many of the choices I make. Uh, not all of them, obviously, but most of them. I'm happy. I feel very lucky and very blessed that I met a woman 
like Maureen, my wife, who is just an incredible individual, great wife, great partner, great, great mom. I'm very fortunate, you know, to have two great daughters, 11 and 14. They're passionate, they're friendly, they're, they're smart, they're cute, they're funny. Of course, none of us are without our flaws either. I mean, it's not a, it's, you know, the, the, the road is certainly not paved with gold, you know, it's, um, and it's not like we're perfect. I mean, that's, we're far from it. And what is perfection anyway, if you want to dialogue about perfection, you know, so joy, yes, I'm joyful and happy. I also find a lot of strength and joy in the fact that I, I love my faith. I love being Catholic and I love uh, what challenges it provides and also the hope and joy that, you know, that I have in finding Christ as my savior. I mean, I love that. I, I love that piece of me. I don't get to talk about it a lot. In our society, we tend not to talk about our religion, but at Seton Hall, we're allowed to. And that's great too. And you're allowed to talk about it from an agnostic point of view, an atheist point of view, an every other religion point of view, because the Nostra Tat, you learned it in Journey of Transformation, if you took it, Darren, it is that one driving document, part written by a person at the university, you know, Father Ostreicher, which was cool back in the day. Uh, and he, you know, had the wherewithal to say, hey, this, listen, you know, every religion has its beautiful rightness, as long as you're searching the right truth in God. I mean, that's good. So I digress. Sorry. Yeah. So I'm happy. I'm joyful. Yeah, not every day, you know, and I have, you know, I carry a tremendous burden with family issues with my, you know, extended family and with, you know, the struggles of being in that squeezed generation because I have children and then I have my, my dad who we're taking care of, not physically all the time, but through my mom who's taking care of him, who, who's got, who's got Parkinson's advanced stages and my father and his wife upstate New York. And, you know, there's, you're squeezed, you know what I'm saying? But am I happy? Absolutely. I'm thinking of this in the terms of someone who is going from high school to now having to be completely responsible for their future. And, and that can be a scary thought for a, a college student, especially a freshman. What would you say to college students that might be on this endless quest for happiness or, or they don't know what to do with their future? especially since this, the fall semester has become. And this morning we had, we had lead 3000 with some STEM majors, eight to nine o'clock and Dr. Price was leading it. And the students were there. And towards the end, I reminded the students that in 2020, 2022, when they graduate, they're going to be graduating perhaps in a, perhaps I said, I mean, in an economic downturn, perhaps with a lot of students who are searching still for a career. They've been halted, if you will, by COVID or kind of halted by what's been going on. And that's going to be a tremendous struggle. So I ask you, Darren, to answer your question, think back to when you were 10 years old. Was that about 10 years ago? Maybe you were nine years old. Roughly. If I told you that in 10 years, you'll be at a university in a leadership program and you'll be interviewing podcast members or people for a podcast, would you even know what I was talking about? Not at all. Not at all. That you need to prepare for the future, but recognize you can't tell the future. At least if you can, I want to hear from you. If you can tell the future, I would love to learn the future. I, we could buy some lotto tickets, but I don't condone gambling, by the way. So just so you know that. But if you knew the future, you might be scared. You might have been, you might have made different decisions not to be in this position. I mean, you don't know what it would have been like. It's a process. Life is a process. What you're going to do is Set yourself up for success for the future. Do something for yourself today that your future self, DJ, will thank you for. And that could be as simple as listening. That could be as simple as saying yes to an opportunity that arises. You know, saying yes to a new job, even though the fear and the trepidation is there. That could be going for a run because, you know, when you're in your late 40s, 
48 like I am, your health is, is seems to rise to more importance than when you were younger. You kind of not have to think about that. So going for a run for me is saying to myself in the future, hey, listen, I'm trying to take care of you, old man. You know, you better go for a run today. Hey, you want to read a book? You know, you might want to read a book so you can at least, you know, get your brain thinking a little bit. You know, a new book I just started is Dublin by Edward Rutherford. He's it's a great historical fiction book, similar to like, of course, different generation. Ken Follett's Toes of the Earth, one of the greatest books in World Without End. And he came out with a third. I'm not, um, I haven't picked it up yet, but like reading is good. Do something for yourself today that your future self will thank you for. And that's advice. Like it, keep both eyes open. You know, advice that my wife gave me years and years and years ago. Keep both eyes open before you get married. When you get married, you close one eye. You know, you just kind of, it is what it is. You know, you're married. This is your choice. I haven't had to, you know, close one eye yet, thankfully. Be patient with yourself if you're a high school student. Be patient with yourself and recognize that just like you didn't know you were going to be in a situation to go to college years ago, you maybe thought you had to. Take all of your experiences and just try to put yourself in the best light and choose for the right reasons. Your college, your major, you know, that sort of thing. Wow. Yeah. You mentioned uh, quite a few books, actually. I was going to say you mentioned a couple books and then you named off a few more. Oh, um, yeah. Do you have any books, like, in particular that you would recommend to people listening yes read of course you know uh, read the bible hey i like that book it's one of the most well-known books in the world dj it's excellent definitely read that but books like man's search for meaning by victor frankel excellent amazing book recommend it highly short read i think it's a good one if, if you read anything you know i would say blink was a good book that i read that was malcolm gladwell wrote blink that i recommend i recommend the road less traveled by scott peck i think that's a it's a recommended book. There was a gentleman years ago who taught New York City, Frank McCourt. He came from a city in Ireland called Limerick, and that's where we go for the servant leadership experiences. And uh, he wrote a book called Angela's Ashes, which was powerful. I recommend that one. I do like post-apocalyptic books too. So The Road by Cormac McCarthy was a good book. And of course, The Alchemist, it's always a fan favorite. If you can read that, that's like a night read. That's an easy uh, one. I actually I can, have that book right next to me right now. The that's Alchemist? Good. Yes. Have you read it? Oh, yeah. It's great. Phenomenal. Phenomenal. I mean, great. All right. Good. What else you got? What are the questions? Just one more, actually. Uh, do you follow any thought leaders online or in social media? Wow. That's a great question. Thought leaders. So it's interesting. I'm not going to give you one thought leader, but I'm going to give you a host of thought leaders by one website. It's the Chronicle, higher education. It's a, it's, a, it's a news, but a lot of writers from education write about their craft, teaching, advising, research, service, uh, and that's in the Chronicle of higher education. So I recommend if, if nothing else, send everyone to get a subscription or just read the first few articles that are free of the Chronicle for higher education. I would recommend highly. The, there's also a school in Indiana University. It's the College of Education, Human Services. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of Dr. George Koo. Dr. George Koo, I think it's K-U-H. He is in a tr tremendous uh, writer who writes about, um, I think he also oversees a, a survey that we put out, Nessie. I think it's National Survey of Student Engagement, I believe. I recommend reading anything from George Koo. Uh, he's amazing. A brilliant man. Yeah, among others. So was that helpful? Yes, but thank you so much. And actually, that looks like that is all the time we have. Thank you, Dr. Kaiser, for coming to our podcast. And to our listeners out there, we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks, Darren. Have a great day. 
On behalf of everyone at the Bucino Leadership Institute, I'd like to thank all of our podcast listeners, the podcast team, as well as 89.5 WSOU Pirate Radio for allowing us to use their facilities. Follow us online at www.shu.edu backslash leadership and on Twitter at Shu Leadership. At Seton Hall, we make leaders better. <laughs>